The following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. I'm going to talk to you uh, over the next few weeks about the Holy Spirit. Everybody say the Holy Spirit. I think he's the most misunderstood person in the Godhead. As um, Christians, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe there's only one God, but that one God is in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So I don't think we've got too many problems with God the Father. We've done lots of sermons and heard lots of messages on God the Father. I'm sure that uh, we've heard a lot of messages on God the Son. We uh, read so much about Jesus. But I really believe that the Holy Spirit is probably the most misunderstood. Matter of fact, some people still refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. And uh, he, he is a person. He is not a force or an influence or a wind or a, a power. Uh, bay. I mean, he, he's all of that, but much more than that. He is a person with personality. What I find fascinating is this, that the last word that Paul spoke into the Corinthian church had to do with the Holy Spirit. And what's amazing is this, is that the last word that Paul spoke to the Corinthian church is the last word that we speak to people all over the world. And the last word is focused on the Holy Spirit. Now, now, if, if I were to read this text straight off without even telling you where it's found, you'd all get up ready to leave the church because this is what's commonly known as the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And you know that's time to go home. Well, what about let's doing it at the beginning because I want to focus on the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. The last word. The last word that people have resonating in their ears as they leave church ought to be this word. But it's like a mantra. It's like just words that are lost in, in so much uh, ritual that the emphasis of, his, of, it, of it is lost. And today what I want to do is focus in on what it means to be in communion with the Holy Spirit. Now, we just did communion, and so, so often we kind of think, well, communion is the sharing of the bread and the wine. Well, in actual fact, this word in the original language in which the New Testament was written is a Greek word called koinonia. May the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That word koinonia means to share in fellowship by participation. And it cannot be done without communication. Everybody say communication. So there's no way that you can have koinonia without communication. See, so many people think that, well, I I can do fellowship by just being there. Well, no, it takes more than being there. It takes communication. See, 
Let, let, let me explain how this works, because it's really important that you understand what this word koinonia, communion, fellowship is all about, because sometimes we misinterpret it. I went to Bible school in 1978, and in 1979, Anne came to Bible school. And the first time I saw her, my heart fluttered. It was just love at first sight. And uh, anyway, so she knew I existed. I definitely knew she existed. And whenever I walked into a room, I just knew exactly where she was. Don't think it was reciprocated, though. I was just one of the boys. And so, so, so we were together in Bible college. We were together in chapel. We were together right throughout the, that year in 1979. But Anne just didn't even know I existed, really. She just saw me as one of the boys. My sister was in a class, so she knew that I was Lena's brother. And uh, she knew that I was good-looking and handsome and strong and intelligent and uh, full of fire. She, she, humble, thank you. But it wasn't until... We ended up going out for dinner this particular day. It was the biggest setup known to man. I, I, I was part of the Italian band at the college. There was about eight of us, and we were the fun crowd. And uh, we, we obviously, with Italians, they love to eat. And so, um, and so a whole bunch of us were going out for pizza on this particular night. And uh, I invited Anne, if she wanted to come with the fun crowd, the Italians, to have pizza. And she says, yeah, I'd love to. Well, as it was by divine intervention, everybody pulled out except for me. <laughs> they all pulled out. I don't know why. And so, um, so we missed out on the dinner that was prepared at the college. And, uh, and so she'd missed out on that. So she's ready to go out to dinner for everybody. And after the dinner was done, I gave her a message. And I said, hey, listen, um, everybody's pulled out. And, uh, and so I'm the only one going to pizza. So if you'd like to come with me, then we'll do it. So there was no option because she'd missed out on the food at the college. And so we had to go up the street. Is that, what, what do you call that? Do you call that divine something anyway so so this is the first time is, is it a setup is it it's like having a date without opening yourself up to being smashed I think I think that's what it is but anyway so uh, so so for the first time in that year so we're talking maybe September October of that year this is the first time that we've been able to get together to do personal communication even though we'd known each other, this was the first time that we really were able to communicate. And through that communication, something sparked. Something had already sparked in me, but something sparked in Anne. And she started to notice that there was this boy called John Giuliano. And some, something started to happen within the relationship that's ended up in us getting married and uh, 33 years later, being more in love than we've ever been in all of our lives. But the intimacy started not through knowing each other. We already knew each other, but it was through communication. And that's koinonia. That's exactly what koinonia is. 
Let me ask you a question. How often do you speak to the Holy Spirit? How often do you communicate with him? How aware are you of the third person of the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus said this, it is to your advantage. In John 16, verse 7, Jesus said, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And so what Jesus does, he actually calls the Holy Spirit the helper, which is another word in the Greek called paraclete. We've translated into English and we try to find this word called parakletos, paraclete. But but I want to share with you this morning just two very important things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life so that you can build this intimacy with Him. And next week, I'm going to be sharing a little bit more. And the week after, I'm going to be sharing a little bit more. But let me share with you two things the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Number one, He wants to help you. Everybody say, He wants to help me. See, too often we kind of think the Holy Spirit's out to get us. No, He's out to help us. That's, that's His nickname. If, if you really want to translate the word parakletos, some, some old Bibles translated as comforter, but really his nickname is the helper. He comes alongside to help you. And Jesus calls that help the advantage. The whole goal, his whole goal is to help you, guide you through life to accomplish your God-given destiny. That's his goal. That's what he's out to do. He's out to complete that which was started in your life. Now, the Bible is very clear that Jesus was the first paraclete, the first helper. And so, so we, cannot, I mean, we can identify with that because Jesus helped the disciples. How many of you would love to have been one of the disciples? How many of you would have loved to have lived in the time of Jesus? How many of you would have loved to just go into situations that are pretty confronting situations but you got Jesus with you. How, how many of you would have loved that? I mean, you, you're out of control. Imagine being on a ship in the middle of the sea and it's about to sink. You're out of control, but Jesus is there. And so you can call upon him and, and he can turn that whole thing around. Peace be still and the whole thing turns around. Imagine being in a situation where you, you're confronted because that story continues on. They get to the other side, the the. the Gennesarenes, the land of the Gennesarenes, and this guy comes out of the tombs. He's a madman. Chains couldn't hold him down. He's, he's a nudist as well. He's naked and he's screaming and he's carrying on. And I reckon the disciples would have run him off. But no, Jesus was with them. He confronted, cast the devils out, and that guy was totally set free and healed. How many of you think how cool it would be to be with Jesus? You're out in a field. 5,000 men are there. They run out of food. And, uh, and a little boy comes up and says, listen, I've just got a, you know, a few sardine sandwiches. If you can do anything with it, here it is. Jesus, give me the food. And with those few little sardine sandwiches, Jesus feeds a multitude of people. How many think that would be cool to have Jesus? And so, and so after three years of that experience, Jesus says, but it's to your advantage that I go. Because if I don't go, you won't get the other helper. I've been your helper, but when I go, I'm going to send another helper. And that word another is exactly the same. Exactly the same. I'm going to send my replacement. 
on planet earth and he will be with you always and will be inside of you. Wow, he'll dwell with you. What, what? He'll be with us 24-7. How awesome is that? I want to say to you that you have access to divine help. But how often do we access the divine help? The divine help is there. So, so what does this look like? So what does this help look like? Tell me what it looks like. Okay, let me give you three pointers of what this help looks like. The first one is insight. The Holy Spirit wants to give you insight. Insight that you don't have. Revelation that you don't have. Insight. Everybody say insight. A lot of us have got sight, but we don't have insight. And insight is doesn't come from information. It comes out of revelation. And insight is where we go, ah, I get it. I mean, how, how many of you know, when you were at school, you got insight after you got the information. Because you went through your tables and your teacher would say, Two plus two equals four. How many of you remember learning that two plus two equals four? And so you did the test, two plus two equals four. But then on this particular day, you got the insight of what it meant. And what was it? On one side of your lunchbox, you had two salami sandwiches. On the other side of your lunchbox, you had two provolone sandwiches. Well, sorry, if you're an Italian kid, that's the way that it works. Let me just, you're an Aussie kid, okay? So on one side of the lunchbox, you got two Vegemite sandwiches. On the other side of the box, you've got two raspberry jam sandwiches. Oh, you're an Asian kid, okay. <laughs> I won't go through all the different nationalities. But this little Italian kid one day, when he looked, I got two salami and two provolone, and then it dawned. I got four sandwiches. <laughs> now it just goes into another realm. So now it's not theory. Now it's, I understand what this means. I understand this. This makes sense. See, previous to that, I was going on someone else telling me that this is true. But now I've discovered it myself that this is true. See, that's, that's insight. That's revelation. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do with this book. See, to so many people, this book is just words on a paper. It's stories. It's, it's, it's information. But when the Holy Spirit gets it into your spirit, it becomes insight. It's like this. So many people learn a catechism. They learn Sunday school stories. They hear the gospel message, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but everlasting life. They might even memorize that. But then the Holy Spirit comes and goes, it opens it up. And now it's not just a catechism or a theology or an information. Now it becomes world-changing information that's become revelation in your spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is something called conviction. 
What a beautiful thing conviction is. Everybody say conviction. Because conviction is the thing that keeps us spiritually alive. Without conviction, you will eventually become spiritually dead. I'm telling you now, without conviction, you will become spiritually dead. And you say, what's conviction? Conviction is an understanding of what is right and wrong. It's an understanding that doesn't come just from what society tells you is right and wrong or how you've been programmed to believe right and wrong is. It's what the Holy Spirit says is right and wrong. So what it is, is it's, it's like this. It's, it's, it's like having in your life an ability to feel pain. How many, of you, how many of you hate the fact that you can feel pain? Let me tell you, those of you that are suffering pain, I, I, I certainly do feel for you. But you know what would be worse? What would be worse if you didn't feel any pain? Because the fact that we are actually able to keep safe is because we can feel pain. See, see one of the things that you teach your children is this, don't put your hand in the stove. How many of you have taught your children that? You haven't? Okay, well, let me tell you, one of the first principles in being a good parent is to tell your children, don't put your hands in the stove. I remember Stephen when he was about two or three years of age. We, we, we constantly told him, but we had one of those stovetops that had, what do, you, what do you call it, with the, the electric element. That's it, the electric element. And it was just so fascinating for Stephen. We said, don't touch the hot plate. Don't touch the hot plate. Then we were not looking one day and the element was turned on and it was red and it was glowing. And Stephen put his hand on the hot plate. Barbecue. Kid burning. It took a couple of seconds for everything to connect. And then... He started screaming. We pulled his hand off the hot plate, and there was the mark of the element. On it. Talk about the mark of the beast. This was mark of the element on his hand. We rushed him to the hospital. We tried to get hot, cold, not hot water, cold water on it, the whole, the whole thing. Let me tell you, Stephen has never touched the hot plate from that day. You can either learn from your own mistakes, or you can get revelation from somebody else. But you know what? The fact that he could feel pain stopped him from getting even more burnt because as soon as he felt that pain, he moved his hand off. That pain was a good thing. Even though he screamed the house down and even though we we wanted to remove the pain from him, that pain was a good thing. See, conviction is the same thing. Conviction is spiritual pain. Conviction is is where you start to do something and the Holy Spirit says, that's going to destroy you. That's going to kill you. That's going to fall. That's going to cause you to fall apart. And, and, And what normally happens with conviction is a sense of guilt, a sense of, I shouldn't be doing that. There's something about that that is just It doesn't feel right. That's the Holy Spirit giving you insight. Whatever you do, don't push that aside or squash that or walk away from that, but acknowledge that's the work of the Holy Spirit working in our lives to do something very beautiful. 
What else does the Holy Spirit do, does? Well, he gives us direction. That's one of the other things besides insight is direction. Everybody say direction. I love the fact that the Holy Spirit wants to help me get direction through life. Why is that? Because everybody wants to tell you where to go and what to do and the direction you ought to take. I mean, everybody's out to tell you how to live your best life. But at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit that knows the answer to that question the most. Why is that? Because He's God. Direction. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that these are the sons of God, those that are led by the Spirit of God. So one of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in revealing His sonship in your life is to direct you through life, to direct you, to guide you through life. And one of the things that I've learned in guidance is this, is to not... Not listen to my head all the time, but listen to the voice of the Spirit. Because my head is controlled by a whole bunch of factors. So a long time ago, I stopped asking the question, can I afford it? Why is that? Because I was trained to ask that question, can I afford it? And I've learned now to ask the question, is God in it? Because sometimes I can afford it and it's still wrong. Other times I can't afford it, but it's right. So, so where, where do you find that balance? We'll just say, Holy Spirit, do you want me to do this? Do you want me to have this? What's, what's the go? Lead me through life. And that's his job. He comes along to help you, to guide you, to direct you through life. I remember when, you know, just a few months after the pizza scenario, Anne and I started to pray very clearly whether our future was together as to get married. And, and, uh, and so we stopped and we prayed and we sought the face of God for God to show us clearly. I mean, my, heart's, my, my heart said, yes, I want to marry this girl, but I wanted the will of God. Obviously, once she got to know me, there was no pulling back. She definitely wanted to marry this man. No question about that. But, but you know what? We wanted to be led by the Spirit of God. We wanted God to confirm this life decision. I knew that, that I'd focused in on serving the Lord. That was it. I wanted to serve the Lord with all of my heart. I was committed to that. And the whole, and the whole revelation of that was all Holy Spirit-led. Do you know that, believe it or not, that my life was already destined for ministry before I was born? This, this all happened with an encounter that my mother had when she was 15 years of age. And this last trip that I did to Italy, I actually went to the field where my mother had this encounter with the Holy Spirit. She was just so overcome by the Spirit of God. Just as a 15-year-old kid in the mountains of southern Italy, she was overcome by the presence of God. And, and so she made a commitment to God as a 15-year-old girl in this field that if God ever gave her a firstborn son, that she would dedicate that firstborn son to him. That event didn't happen until 1959. But when it happened, in her heart of hearts, she said, I'm going to give this child to God. But she never told my dad. She kept it to herself. It was, it was her deal with the Holy Spirit. She wasn't aware of the fact that maybe, maybe, maybe uh, the child's father had, uh, had a say in it. And so, and so now we're talking 18 years later. I'm 18 years of age. And I have this encounter with the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit says to me, John, 
it's time for you to set yourself aside to go into the ministry. Now, I believe it or not, as a little kid, I felt the moving of the Spirit in that. As a five-year-old kid, the Holy Spirit would come upon me and said, set your sights for the ministry. As a five-year-old kid, I knew the call of God was upon my life. I can still remember being in primary school and the, the teacher goes around, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a policeman. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a fireman. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a doctor. What about you, John Juliana? What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a pastor. <laughs> and everybody laughed. And the teacher would sort of, whoa, where does this come from? I'll tell you where it came from. The Holy Spirit. Already at work. Already leading. And so, you know, get, I get to teenage years. And teenage years are interesting years, even for a kid brought up in a Christian church. And I went through some pretty rebellious times. And, uh, and the last thing that I wanted to do in my rebellious times was serve the Lord. I wanted to make money, money, because that was the influence. You got to make money. You got to have fun. But then when I hit 16, again, this encounter with the Holy Spirit was just so powerful. At 16 years of age, I can still remember this encounter with the Holy Spirit where I got filled with the Holy Spirit. My whole life changed, man. I became a fiery evangelist overnight when the Holy Spirit came upon me in May 1975. I can still remember it. It was just this incredible, I can tell you where I was. I can, I can tell you the, the, the time. I can tell you the people that were praying for me at the time. And I tell you, I got filled with the Holy Spirit and my life changed. And when I arrived at school the next day, everybody knew that something was different with John Juliano. Why is that? Because on the Friday, I was a secret Christian. How many of you know what a secret Christian is? You keep your Christianity all to yourself. It's a very personal thing. It's a very private thing. But on the Monday, man, I was telling everybody about Jesus. I, why is that? Because I got a revelation that if I don't tell, who will tell them? There was just something of the power of the Holy Spirit upon my life. And then two years later, I'm, I'm at this camp and in, in Melbourne. And again, the presence of the Holy Spirit just comes upon me in an awesome way. This preacher gives this appeal. He says, I just feel that God is calling some people into the ministry. If that's you, you feel the moving of the Holy Spirit, that now's your time to move into the ministry. Come forward, I'm going to pray for you. Man, I ran to the front. I got prayed for. I just felt that God was saying to me, John, prepare yourself. Now's the time to enter into ministry. So I go home. And I called my parents together. I was at university at the time, studying to be an architect. Called my parents together. And I said to them, hey, mum, dad, I've got some, some, some things to share with you. What's that? Well, at this camp, I just felt the Holy Spirit came upon me. And I, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, now is the time to go into ministry. And so I feel that now's the time to leave university and go to Bible school. My mother didn't say a word. My father, on the other hand, started to say, that's a very good thing, son, but you're not going to Bible college until you finish university. That's the way that it is. And so then I said, God, you've got the problem, not me. You've called me. Now you need to open the doors. And so my mother stayed very quiet for a couple of days. Why is that? Because she hadn't told my father the deal that she'd made with the Holy Spirit. 
So a few days later, it's the Sunday, and mum and dad are driving to church together. And all of a sudden, my mother starts to cry in the car. My father goes, what's the matter? What's the matter? He pulls over. Why are you crying? What's the matter? She says, there's something I need to tell you that I've never told you before. What's that? What do you need to tell me that you've never told me before? And she says, something happened to me when I was 15 years of age. And I've never told you what happened. What happened? She says, when I was 15 years of age, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I said to the Holy Spirit, said, Holy Spirit, if you give me a firstborn child, then I'm going to dedicate him to you. My father then started to cry as well with tears pouring down his face. He turns to my mother and said, if you gave John to God, I'm happy to do the same. Had the meeting with me after church and said, John, God's spoken to us. If you want to go into the ministry, we give you permission and blessing. Within two weeks, I was sitting there in Bible school preparing myself. That was 1978. Nothing's changed. Kept being led by the Spirit of God. Kept being guided by the Spirit of God. See, I'm telling you from experience, there's nothing more beautiful in life than being led by the Spirit of God. There's so many voices that would try to lead you. There are so many voices that would try to manipulate you. There are so many voices that are trying to control you. But nobody loves you like the Holy Spirit. Nobody wants the best for your life like the Holy Spirit. And for you to die to your own ambitions and die to your own personal desires and come to the place where you say, God, not my will, but your will be done. I'm telling you, there is no better way of doing life than being led by the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you one more thing and then I'm going to finish. Not only does the Holy Spirit want to help you, the Holy Spirit wants to sanctify you. Oh, to sanctify you. For some of you, that that word is a little bit difficult to understand. Let let me explain this to you. 1 Peter 1, verse 2 talks about in sanctification of the Spirit. Titus 2, verse 5 talks about the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So let, let me explain this word sanctification because it comes from a Latin word sanctus, which means to make holy. You can come up, Tim, I'm just about finished. To make holy. What does it mean? It means that God wants to make you holy. What's holy? Holy is probably the best way of describing holy is God-like. Without sin, perfect, holy. See, we we, we miss this. We really do. We miss this. He is called the Holy Spirit. What's his job? His job is to make you holy. His job is to remove the imperfection, to wash you, to regenerate you, to make you whole. Can I just tell you that the most common adjective to describe God in the whole Bible, is holy. Matter of fact, when you get a vision of heaven in the book of Revelation, 
chapter 4, what you find in verse 8 is that the, the elders and the creatures around the throne, day and night, they keep calling out, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And before they finish on the other side, they cry out, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Without holiness, nobody can see God. Without holiness, nobody can be saved. And you say, but... But holiness needs, means perfection. Who's perfect? See, this is the point. This is, this is the point. Because the world divides people up between the good and the bad. And so we say, if you're a good person, you're going to be accepted by God because you're a good person. Because there's only two types of people, the good and the bad. God never, ever divides people like that. Why is that? Because as far as God is concerned, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none good. No, not one. You say, what? What? How can you say that? I'm just saying what God says. Man, if you need authority, just say what God says. There's authority right there. Yeah, but I'm saying what most of the people in the world say. Okay, so most of the people in the world know more than God. No, understand this. Well, then how does God adjudicate? Here it is. Are you ready? Are you ready? Two. Two words. Forgiven. Unforgiven. Forgiven means that your sins have been washed away. Forgiven means that He has removed your sins from you as far as the east is from the west and declared you to be holy, sanctus, set apart. But what what am I going to do to do that? What, What must I do? What must I do? It's not what you must do. It's what He has done. He, through the sacrifice Upon the cross and the shedding of his own blood, the giving of his own blood is able to wash humanity from the sins and declare them to be holy, righteous, forgiven. My friends, as we come to a close this morning, stop analyzing yourself by whether you're good or you're bad. But start analyzing yourself whether you've been forgiven or whether you're unforgiven. Because I'm telling you today, if you're forgiven, then the Holy Spirit is at work to make you more and more like Jesus. See, at forgiveness, you cross a line. You come out of darkness. You come into light. You come out of being the family of darkness to being in the beautiful family of God. When you receive Jesus, and Jesus is only revealed through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. See, for some people, what I'm saying right now is going to go right over your head. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. 
For other people, it's like kaboom, kaboom, kaboom. These are like words of power, words of might, as the Holy Spirit takes hold of these words and makes them shafts of light penetrating into your spirit and into your soul. The whole thing starts to open up. That's the presence of God. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit drawing you to Him. Drawing you to Him. For what purpose? So that you can get the DNA of the Spirit of God in your life. So that you can become God people, God lovers. People that have come out of darkness and are now into light. People that have escaped the camp of the enemy and are now part of the family of God. People that love righteousness. People that love holiness. People that love truth. People that love God, love others. Why? Because the Spirit of God is at work in our lives, transforming us. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 